Do you feel like you're stuck in the job doldrums? We all know work can be better. If you believe there's a better way to work, join us in the global work forward movement now. Welcome to the Work Forward Podcast. Welcome to the Work Forward Podcast. We know work can be better. Work Forward is not a company. We are a movement. We're a community of people from all different walks of life who believe work can be better. And that's why we formed Work Forward. That's why we have this podcast. I'm Natalie Bourne. I'm an innovation facilitator for Territory Global. And I'm your host for today. I'm joined by my co-host, Mark Tippin. Hey, Mark. Hey, hey, Natalie. It's great to, great to be seeing you and working with you and in conversation again. Well, I'd love for our listeners to know a little bit about you. Tell us just a bit about your background, maybe. Sure. Okay. So things you may not know about me. I'm a Florida native, but I grew up in California. And I live in the Pacific Northwest. So once I found the Pacific Coast, I kind of hung here. <laughs> I attended a lot of schools in the South Bay when a lot of the big empires we know today as Apple and Autodesk and Adobe were just shifting from the garage into their first offices and um, you know, studied graphic design when that's pretty much the only way you you did design was, you know, graphic design. But being in the Bay Area, that transitioned into CD-ROM authoring and and I've, I've had a computer since sixth grade, an Atari 800. So Nice. I had that too. Okay. There That's you go. Yeah. Type, getting the antique magazine and seeing pages of code and, and typing it all in. Like that's, um, yeah. that, it's fundamental. I, I think that all of those early learnings become part of you in an appreciation and perhaps a skepticism about mm -hmm. what's useful technology and what isn't. Absolutely. That's how I got into product development was a love for computers and then later software. That's really cool. I would love for you to tell our listeners, what are you doing now? Oh, right. So this this strange eclectic set of things that I've done um, landed me looking for a solution as a manager of a UX team to try that was spread across 12 time zones to try and figure out how to lead better conversations with a team that's spread across the world. So... So two things happened. One, I got introduced to Loom Institute and their kind of taxonomy of innovation, great methods for making sense out of design thinking and human-centered design. And then I discovered Mural. And Mural is a whiteboard, online whiteboard, but it's really more than that. We're, we're bringing those methods. The recent acquisition of Luma, we're actually, it's like the two hemispheres of my brain are coming together. Finally. And my job is weaving the corpus callosum between... The methods that just make conversations way more awesome and outcomes way more possible with a space where it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can come in and see what each other is trying to get at and visualize and then make it real. I love that. It, and I love, I mean, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today, which is a visual collaboration. So I love that you talk about how the idea of like frameworks that you just know to be core to who you are, right? They're kind of intrinsically in you now with this tool that allows you to to better collaborate kind of came together and it was like, okay, now it's all right with the world. Like they were here, but now they're here. And I, I know for some people, visual collaboration is not easy for them. And it's right. maybe not the first thing they think to go to, but there's so much power in working visually. And so I thought we could just open up a conversation with our listeners today about what does that look like in your world and how can people begin to approach this idea if maybe they're just hanging around the outskirts of it and haven't jumped into the deep? Absolutely. Well, I think it's so two things that come to mind. One is it's absolutely imperative that people get better at sketching or drawing or what I, in a broad sense, it's externalizing. 
You can externalize with your words, but they have a tendency to evaporate as soon as they're said. And so when you start externalizing them on sticky notes or in some type of a sketch, a couple of things happen. One, the, the quantum state is determined, right? In your head, it can be all things. My idea is all things and it's super awesome and it's my idea. As soon as you actually distill that and put it in a shared space and actually commit, it's like the quantum observation. It is now that thing. And not only is it in a fixed state, but it's also ours now. It's no longer just exclusively my idea to ruminate on or to change the definition of. It becomes at least something that you could look at and you respond to. So wow. drawing, it's not about drawing a fine sketch to go on a wall and people get hung up on this this thing of like, I'm not an artist, I'm not an artist. It's like, well, it, it's not drawing for, for that, I, that outcome. It's drawing so that I can understand what's what you mean. Yeah. Um, in any that. way you can share it. Yeah. I love that. I love like getting to the meaning. Like I, I think a lot of times to your point, we, we tend to talk in circles and we kind of repeat ourselves and talk around the, the general idea. But when you put it down concretely, it gives us all something to step back and look at. And are like, is that really, is that really, I heard what you were saying, but now that you put it down, that's not really what I thought you meant, but now yeah. I know what you mean. Absolutely. That was early on. We kind of stumbled onto some of these little catchphrases internally at Mural. And, you know, one of them was everyone was embracing Zoom and and Zoom is great because I can see you, right? I can see you now. You can see me and it's wonderful, but I can't see what you mean. (laughs) And that's what Mural does. Mural allows me to actually see what you mean. um, And that is that is kind of this deceptively simple first step that does things like builds connection and trust. And, you know, we you, you operate from a belief that we're all spending our life energy here in this room together to, to actually try and get to an outcome that works for all of us. But if you don't adopt some intention around how you design that collaboration and, and what you get people to externalize, then you get into, like you say, to those circular arguments mm-hmm. or people are saying words, but sometimes I wish they would, people would change color if they meant like I'm talking about in the next six minutes, what I need to happen versus two years from now. Right. Because that is, that is, it all gets lost when it's all stuck in words. Like, oh, you meant now, <laughs> not like in the future vision. Yeah, that's, you know, it's funny when I think about visual collaboration as well, I use mural probably every day. Like I, I can't think of a day that goes by that I that I'm not somehow in mural, finding myself in there, whether I'm having a conversation with myself or having a conversation with, you know, 20, 30 people. But it's, you know, to me, when you're talking about that too, of, of, do you mean this today or do you mean this six years from now? I love just building that that timeline and saying, okay, let's let's look at what we mean in a timeline and let's look at it visually and let's think about it visually. Oh, well, I didn't mean put it there. That's too soon. There's no way we can do that. Cool. Now that we're looking at it visually, we can have a real conversation about what we mean. And I think that's the piece that we're all searching for is is in a death by meeting world, how do we have better, more effective meetings? How do we work better together? And part of that, in, in I had to get over that stigma too. I'm not an artist either, but I sure can draw a good stick figure. And so when I draw enough of those, you now know what I mean. Is this for one person or is it for 10 or is it for, you know, a plethora? And so 
I think that there's, there's just power in creating the ability for people to visually see. And, and something else that I, you know, when I'm working with project managers, I'm always like, show your notes visually. Like if someone joins the meeting late, they can instantly pop in, catch themselves up, and now they can see where you're at. And so there's just all these beautiful visual cues that we don't think about and we don't use. And they actually make our meeting so much harder. Don't you hate the, oh, hey, so-and-so joined 30 minutes late. Let's get, let's catch them up. I'm like, let's rewind. I'm like, no, I already saw that part of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) So they can visually catch themselves up while we continue. So there's, there's a really. questions and you know, you, there's a way to draw people in. Um, And you reminded me, I, I've been very fortunate to have amazing mentors throughout my career. And now I've got enough gray hair. I'm, I'm finding I, I get to pay it forward sometimes where people ask and I, I can share some of that knowledge because that was shared with me. So two of my mentors had this habit. One of them was Clement Mock, who I got to work with early mm-hmm. on, who's amazing to watch him work. And um, Mickey McManus, who I got to meet at Autodesk. And both of them consultants. And one of the most powerful things they did is they took their dry erase marker and they would go to the CEO and they would say, hmm, that sounds interesting. Here, you draw it. You draw what you're, and they would get the boxes. And what would happen is CFO would say, no, 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 Bob, it doesn't work like that. And the HR Susan would say, no, no, it's this. And, and Uh two things would come out. I just thought it was the most brilliant thing as a, as a budding consultant myself to see two things happen. One, it was obvious they didn't even understand their own business, you know, and, and where could offer help and, and clarification. They were actually educating you. Mm-hmm. on the current state of ambiguity they have around things. But as they tease it out, they have a first cut at a working model. But you'd also leave the meeting with like six months to a year's worth of consulting. And you could just, you, and it's their diagram. You say, we could work on this part, or we could work on that part, or we could work on them both. If you want a bigger team, we can spin up multiple teams. But it becomes this dialogue where the problem is framed and it's their drawing and it's their words. And I think that's what all of consultants that just want to help, that was this brilliantly fast way just to get past all of the posturing and, you know, and ego and all that stuff and really just get to the problem. Well, you know, what's so interesting about that too is when you ask the person who, you know, when you're in a meeting and it's like, hey, we're trying to solve this problem. And you ask the person who's kind of called the meeting, so to speak, to draw the problem. I think it exposes a lot and exposes, hey, this is where we're at in the journey. But it also does, you know, you talked about the posturing thing. You also don't have to bring your ego to the, you don't have to have all the answers. Now, we're going to figure out the answers together. But what you have here is a beginning step of a kind of a point in time of where we're at to help us kind of make that journey. And and that's, that is actually, I'm going to start using that. That's that's really cool. It it was, um, and and it's, these things start interleaving with behaviors like design thinking, human-centered design is, and agile is very yeah. pro-iteration. Yes. And somewhere I learned, someone shared this article with me. I think you could find it if you search for it. It's called The Crappy First Draft, but it isn't crappy, but I, I'm being polite to your podcast. But it's <laughs> this notion of we, all, we, we want it to be perfect before we go for any feedback. Yeah. And yet the value really is in getting something out fast. Mm-hmm. Now you don't do some half-baked thing and go right to the client, but you might kick something out and show it to someone on your team. Say, is this even resonating? Am I missing something? And you get the benefit 
again, if you can take an artifact, even if it's just a simple sticky note and go, is it A, B, C, or is it C, B, D, or is it T? And they go, am A? Diversity and inclusion folds, weaves into this, right? Yeah. Or viewpoints. It's pressure tested. Um, That's my team, that, that team across 12 time zones, I got to benefit from cultural perspectives around the globe. Yeah. And, I want to talk more about that team because I, I just have so much curiosity about, tell, like, just tell us more. How did, how did they all work together? What did that look like? And, and how were you able to, using kind of some of these tools that you found, pull in all those different perspectives? Sure. Well, so the context is it was a, a design organization. So everyone I was working with was in a role of uh, listening to a product owner, right? Product manager, mm-hmm. someone who understands the market and is trying to say, these people as in these roles need these outcomes. These need to be true. These outcomes need to be possible. And they need to listen to that. And they need to work with engineers who say, this is very inexpensive to do. That is months and months of work and mm-hmm. negotiate between those two to try and create visuals that ever that the all sides could agree on. Engineering is nodding their head. We can do that. That's that's feasible. You know, <laughs> the product owner saying that's viable and that your researchers and as the UX person, you kind of more or less own the is it lovable? Right. Yeah. And when those three things are in order, that's that Venn diagram that every design student learns. In the center of that, that's where innovation happens, where you do something really delightful. So um, the company I worked for was growing very rapidly through merger and acquisition, which is common. And so we've all been there. We've either been part of a company, acquiring another company, if you're in the enterprise, or Mm -hmm. you're one of those companies that has this really cool thing that suddenly gets acquired. And sometimes that tech ends up going in and, you know, finding its way, but the people are kind of left behind. And in many cases, I had these outposts of incredibly gifted designers that just weren't at the HQ where all of the water cooler talk happens and all of that culture exists. So as a servant leader, I was frustrated that great ideas were not able to be seen or socialized because they just weren't at where they're in one of the big headquarter buildings. So I went looking for a tool and I looked at all the stuff that was on the market and it was a goofy little video by Mariano uh, <laughs> on the mural site where he was just so effervescent and and he spoke in the language of creativity and imagination and and that set it apart for me. I mean, like, this wow. is someone who really understands that it's storytelling. It's getting yeah. people to align. So what I did is it started all the artifacts instead of, you know, sharing them as PDFs, we put them into a mural. Yeah. And all of the ideas stacked up next to each other and you didn't have a sense of who did what. You were just looking at the ideas on their own merit. And so I remember one meeting in particular where kind of an upper VP stepped in, you know, came down a couple levels and was in the org and looked and said, wow, that that idea is great. And, and so who do I talk to? And they're looking around the room saying, who in this room do I talk to? And I said, you talk to the polycom because that came from a team it's in, you know, the Middle East or in India and, and you can talk to the person and they're the one, you know, and so it was this, this ability to get the ideas up and presented in a way, but there are other advantages as well. Yeah. You can almost achieve a 24 hour virtuous cycle where, you know, while some people are sleeping and another team is doing their value add on it and you wake up and something has moved forward. We did an experiment. I believe it was with GE that was mind-blowing a couple of years ago. Um, the team, I think in New York, kicked it off. I don't have all the facts 
right? Which team and specifically, but so they started working in mural and sketching, like, what are the problems? What are the priorities? What are the things that we could work on? And they got it resolved to a point where East or West Coast was waking up and they're mm-hmm. kind of coming in. And then a handoff happens where we've decided what we're doing. And now they're starting to iterate on breaking the problem down the problem space and everything. Meanwhile, Asia-Pacific offices are waking up and they're looking and they're starting to 3D model. And it went one and a half times around the earth. And by the time that 32 or 36 hour thing was done, it went from what problem do we solve to actually having 3D printed prototypes that were being shown to customers to get their feedback. Wow. And yeah, I mean, it's just so much is possible if we let go of the ways work has been done for the last hundred years and we build trust, connection, and then kind of just let it happen. Let the genius in your resources show up and do good work. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about two things as you were talking. One thing, I've worked with some a designer on a handout, front and back design uh, with wording, all the things, and we never had to pick up the phone and call each other. We just worked through Mural and, and like in a couple of days it was done and they it was in my inbox. I'm like, that's exactly what I wanted, which is, that's new. That's cool, right? Talk, again, I'm all about let's kill death by meeting. But then the other the other thing that you said, which was really interesting, was what drove you to find the tool in the first place. And that was the frustration of of people's ideas not necessarily moving to the top to be heard. And so I love that because it's a it's a twofold thing there. There's also the idea that by the time we get done with our idea, it's not yours, it's ours. That's and that's a really fun part, I think, of of you know, design thinking and collaboration and being a part of a team. It's we might have come in with six ideas, but we left with one. Um, and it's our idea and we can't necessarily pull apart whose was whose, which I think is a powerful part of just collaboration and innovation. But then like just this idea of like the frustration, I think as leaders, we need to let that frustration drive us towards real conclusions for how we can help teams' voices be heard. And I think that's a really important part of work forward that I don't know that we've necessarily touched on yet. <laughs> yeah, well, it's that the thing is what the the more you know, the less you know, right? The, who's yeah. uh, that thing they shared? Someone shared this quote with me, and I can't I, I can't remember who it's attributed to, but but as the as the surface area of your knowledge grows, the circumference of your ignorance also it expands. So, like the more you know, the more you're exposed to certain things. Nonetheless. The things that you expose yourself to, you start seeing all these things are connected. You know, people were thinking, oh, design thinking, that's for developing a new app. Like, no, it's for taking any challenge. Like, you have a frustrated, disengaged team. Mm -hmm. That's as real a challenge that requires just as much thinking. But that's where a lot of the process breaks down because people go, that's scary, or I don't even know where to get started. And so, so that's where these, that's where where Mural is going is bringing these methods in. It's the console and the cartridge approach, right? Mm-hmm. If you buy a PlayStation, you plug it in, hook it up to your TV and turn it on, you'll get a nice Sony logo or an Xbox, you get a nice Microsoft logo and it'll sit there. Yeah, Maybe it'll push some stuff down to you from the internet a little bit here, but you're not playing your games, right? And sometimes you feel like playing, you know, Wii Bowling, right? And sometimes you feel like playing Zelda or whatever it is. And the same thing is the way we're looking at. There are these methods, like you talked about giving up ideas. Mm -hmm. Loom Institute has this great thing called Round Robin, and it intentionally forces you to 
start, everyone starts with the same problem statement and they design their solution. Mm-hmm. And then you gather them all up in a, in real life. You'd be sitting at tables and you share them digitally. You do the same thing. You have to give up your idea and you have to inherit someone else's idea, play armchair quarterback, mm-hmm. say, oh, it's going to fail for all these reasons and then <laughs> shift it again. And now you've inherited not only someone else's idea, but someone else's critique of why it's going to fail. And you have to come up with a solution that addresses those things. And it's at the end of it, some people are still like looking around going, I want to find my idea. What happened to my idea? I'm still <laughs> in love with my idea. But it it forces these these new possibilities, right? In like, oh, right. It is our idea. And the same was there with those team members. I was doing it, yes, because as a manager, I felt I had an obligation to, to get them involved. Yeah. But there are also really good ideas that the company would benefit from. Right? I mean, there is a a viability aspect of what I'm doing. It's like, that's a really good idea and it would make an impact. And if you're going to ignore it, you're not going to benefit from it. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, as, as a consultant working with a lot of large companies, you do find million dollar ideas sitting either with the sales person who's going, you know, door to door and basically picking up this pattern. And they're like, this is brilliant. I've, I've picked up a pattern, but I don't know where to, what do I do with it? And then you also have frontline employees who are closest to the customer. Again, hearing these patterns every day and thinking, oh man, if I could just get this idea to the right person, this could fix our problem. I could cut phone calls, you know, by 25%. So I feel like there's, there's something here of also how can you democratize the ability for people to to access innovation in your organization, access collaboration and, you know, providing tools? Like, I love the idea of, hey, we don't have to have a meeting, but if we want to solve a problem, we're going to put this, you know, out here. And within 24 to 48 hours, we're going to have all these responses back. We can organize them. We can think about them. We can probe if we have other questions. But the rapid ability that we now have to solve problems visually because it's not just words and conversations and you hang up and you're like, no, what did we say we were going to do? When did we say we were going to do it? But instead, yeah. it's it's this it's this thing that lives on. That's and, right. And, and even more powerful than sticky notes, right? Because I will take pictures, <laughs> leave a meeting and be like, okay, gosh, now I got to get that into a document. Well, you know, to me, it's already there and it's a living and we can move it from person to person. That's what I started sensing during the pandemic and our friends at voltage control put out a series of posters that that i love one of them is do the work in the meeting and i i loved that whole shift was it it manifests itself because the pandemic was hitting we went from being a vitamin trying to sell people you know eat your wheaties and you know and suddenly everyone was looking for the painkiller right how do i uh, but in 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 doing it and in that transition, we just ran out of time and I realized, can we stop meeting to talk about the thing we need to meet about? And can we yeah. just intentionally design whatever the conversation is? And there are there are wonderful methods. Some of them come from Luma, some of them come from IDEO, some of them come from some, you know, an improv artist. And, you know, they come from all over. But the one that came to mind as you were talking about, how do we get that feedback from the edges, the peripheral? of the organization and service blueprint is is like hands down one of the most powerful things you can do if you have lots of groups siloed in in different you know focused on different aspects of an experience and you get them to to follow one user trying to get one thing done and the example 
that I got to see was from Intuit. It's a mural user and Eric Flowers, who now works for us, was one man trying to do it on paper and he could do maybe one of these service blueprint sessions a month and it wasn't scalable. And then with mural, he was, he was able to do six to 10 a month and teach other people how to do it. What it is, is user goes through this thing. The example was someone trying to use QuickBooks on their phone, runs into a problem, insults the help on the device. That doesn't work. They call the support number and now they're talking to support. It gets escalated to tier two and they say, well, when you get home and log into your desktop, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Well, right away, for those of us that have worked in big organizations, we can start picking apart, right? There's the mobile app team. There's the team that writes the help for the mobile app. There's the first tier support, which in this case was in Singapore. It gets escalated back to Colorado, the tier two support, and they go to desktop. That's a whole other desktop team, right? right? So inside the company, you've got all these people trying to polish and make their part of the thing excellent. But the user is just saying, look, this is just my experience of your thing. It's yes. all one thing to me. It's a black yeah. box. It's magic. Yeah. And and having a way for people to come in and then be forced, you know, with that first part when everyone groans and goes, oh, yeah, wow, that's a big problem. You can see certain people in the room cringing because they're like, yeah, we kind of own part of that. But as you go down the ladder, there are like some people are glad that isn't me. And there's another yep. part of the team going, oh, God. But yeah. it's these these new ways without a method to be intentional about how you frame the problem, how many months of circular conversation and blame game and you'd never get anywhere. Absolutely. Man, I could talk to you for hours. (laughs) I really could. This is so interesting. Um, Yeah. So we're going to head out for now, but you've got to come back and co-host with me. We've got to do another one of these. I would love to. It's always a pleasure. Awesome. Well, thanks, Mark, for joining me as the co-host today. You're very welcome. Thank you for the invitation. Well, thank you for joining us today for the Work Forward podcast. Look, if you want more stories like these, stay tuned for our next episode. And we want you to go follow us on Instagram or Facebook at We Work Forward and head over to our website, workforward.co. Thanks for joining our Work Forward community. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, follow us on LinkedIn, and visit us at workforward.co. Okay, Mark, now that we're out, I have this question for you. Okay. Serious one. Okay. Oh, okay. Is cereal a soup? Uh, <laughs> so I peeked at that beforehand. So <laughs> I knew it was coming, and yet I still have no clarity. I went down several YouTube videos that deconstructed the philosophical approach to do things exist <laughs> and, and how do we define things and what, you know, is, is, is this chair still a chair? But if I remove a couple atoms, is it still a chair? And then at what point does it no longer become a chair? And, and, I, and, and when I came back every, I thought it was immediately, I was like, hello, cereal is not a soup. The more I looked at it, I went, why? Because if it sits in the milk, is it because it's crunchy versus soft? It sits right. in the milk long enough, it's soft. In a bowl, it's liquid. Soup is hot. No, gazpacho. Right. <laughs> Flavor. So is it its own thing? It. I was thinking about, oh, well, it's a cereal speaks to wheat or cereals, right? Is mm-hmm. is referring to a type of, a, but you have wheat pasta in soup and I'm just fully unresolved. I'm, I'm wanting to just give it all a new name for liquid in a bowl that you consume for nutrition. (laughs) 
I love that you you did your research, you categorized, you thought about it, and you're like, you know what? We just need a new category. That's that's the answer. We're, we're missing some categories. <laughs> we're missing some this is the yeah. most thoughtful answer to one of these I think I have ever had. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I can go down rabbit holes and waste plenty of time in, in unstructured <laughs> investigations of things that are probably pretty trivial, but somehow seem like everything is in that question. Everything is in that question. <laughs> I opened up a philosophical wormhole. All right, guys. <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, it was a fun fun rabbit hole for me to go down on my sides. Thank you. <laughs> Today's sponsorship is brought to you by Territory Global. We work at the intersection of experience and imagination. We help you pinpoint problems and turn them into opportunities. We make imagine happen. Some of the best organizations in the world choose us as their partner to help solve their strategy, innovation, transformation, story, and ways of working problems. Learn more at Territory.co.